Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi there, welcome back. This is going to be for Jeremiah chapters 8 through 14. So I'm just going to do some summaries here and just read a few verses, uh, ones that I think are significant. The heading to chapter 8, Calamity shall befall the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For them the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and they are not saved. Remember that uh, Jeremiah's, most of his talk here is about the destruction of Jerusalem and, and Judah. Um, and so that's what's going to happen here. Um, look at verse 3, though, and says, And death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of them that remnants that remain of the evil family, which remain in all the places whither I have driven them, saith the Lord of hosts. And so, and so uh, the, 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 anyway, they're going to talk about here um, the destruction and that uh, dragging out the bones of leaders was the utmost contempt upon the land. Um, and so they're going to destroy them. So let's go on to the next chapter. So Jeremiah chapter 9 says, Jeremiah bewails the sins of the people. They will be scattered among the heathen and punished. Uh, as I go down to verse um, verse 16, I will scatter them among, among the heathen whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. To be consumed meant to be utterly disorganized and disbanded, so the nation's power and influence was gone. Thus saith the Lord, and this is 17, Consider ye, and call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for cunning women, that they may come. Jeremiah calls for professional mourners to mourn for Israel. So let me go now to the next chapter. So the heading to chapter 10 reads, Learn not the way of the heathen, their gods and idol, are idols and molten images. The Lord is true and the living God. Verse, down to verse 16, The portion of Jacob is not like them, for he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. In a profound and yet simple chain of reasoning, Jeremiah showed the stupidity and sure illogic of worshiping an idol. People take such materials as wood and precious metals that which they work and shape at their own will, making all kinds of objects of service. Then they take those same materials, make them into an idol by the work of their own hands, and suddenly expect the idol to be filled with supernatural power and to be able to, pro to provide miraculous aid for the person who made it. And that was out of the Institute Manual. Chapter 11, the heading reads, The Jews are cursed for breaking the covenant of obedience. The Lord will not hear their prayers. Down to verse uh, 13, For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods, O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry of pr or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. This refers, verses 1 to 14, refers to the covenant the Lord made with the house of Israel at the time of the Exodus. I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. Even the Jews' forefathers broke the covenant, so had their children in Judah. Therefore none would escape the punishment decreed, nor would the prayers of Jeremiah or those of the people help. 
Sperry wrote, Jeremiah's warning was in vain. The Lord pointed out to him that there was a conspiracy among the Jews and that they had turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers. Their gods were as numerous as their cities, and the number of altars set up to Baal was according to the number of streets in Jerusalem. But warned the Lord their gods would not save them in the time of their trouble. In view of their spiritual condition, the prophet was commanded not to pray for the people, nor would the Lord hear their cries unto him. And so uh, you can see here that the problem that the Jews are having, that they, as, as long as they had this idol worship, that they were not going to have the protection of God. For Jeremiah chapter 12, the heading reads, Jeremiah complains of the prosperity of the wicked. If other nations learn the ways of Israel, they shall be numbered with them. Verse 1, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me walk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Jeremiah raised age-old questions. Why do the wicked sometimes prosper while the righteous do not? How much time will pass before their wickedness will be punished? The enmity experienced by Jeremiah at the hands of his countrymen at Anathoth excites his displeasure at the prosperity of the wicked who thrive and live with immunity. He therefore begins to expostulate with God and demands from God's righteousness that they be cut off out of the land, whereupon the Lord reproves him for this outburst of ill nature and impatience by telling him that he must patiently endure still worse. This section, the connection of which with the preceding is unmistakable, shows by a concrete instance the utter corruptness of the people, and it has been included in the prophecies because it sets before us the greatness of God's long-suffering towards a people ripe for destruction. So don't you hope that the Lord is long-suffering for you, too? Down to verse 15, If thou hast run with our footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? And if, it, and if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? Clark wrote, In the smallest evils to which there thou art exposed cause thee to make so many bitter complaints. How wilt thou feel when in the course of thy prophetic ministry thou shalt be exposed to much greater from enemies much more powerful? Footmen may here be the symbol of common evil events, horsemen of evils which, more, which are much more terrible. If thou, hast, thou, if thou have sunk under small difficulties, what wilt thou do when great ones come? I believe the meaning in, is this. If in a country now enjoying peace thou scarcely thinkest thyself in safety, what wilt thou do in the swellings of Jordan? In the time when the enemy, like an overflowing torrent, shall deluge every part of the land, the overflowing of Jordan, which generally happened in, the, in harvest, drove the lions and other beasts of prey from their coverts, among the bushes that lined its banks, who, spreading themselves through the country, made terrible havoc, slaying men and carrying off the cattle. Down to verse 7, For I have forsaken mine house, I have left mine heritage, I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of, their, of her enemies. Mine heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest, it crieth out against me, therefore have I hated it. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird. The birds round about are against her. Come ye, assemble all the beasts of the field, or i.e. Babylon et al., come to devour. Thompson explained the symbol of the speckled bird in this way. Israel, with her proud plumage, has attracted the attention of birds of prey, or enemies, who move in to attack her. An alternative translation arises from rendering Sabua as a noun, hyena, which is possible. This understanding of the word combined with the Septuagint, sub, 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 substitution of the word cave for bird of prey, leads to the translation, Is this land of mine a hyena's lair, with birds of prey hovering all around it? 
The picture with that results is of a hyena's lair with vultures hovering around waiting to swoop down on what is left of a carcass after the hyena has eaten. In either case, the people and land are under attack from foes. There is a feast prepared for all the wild beasts. The destruction of Judah will provide pickings for all. And then Jeremiah chapter 13, Israel and Judah shall be as a rotted and decayed girdle. Repentance enjoined, Judah shall be taken captive and scattered as stubble. Verse 1, Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins, and put it upon put it, and put it not in water. The linen girdle represents the priestly nation of Judea, since linen was used for priestly garments. Sperry wrote, The parable, so it seems to me, should not be pressed too far by logical Westerners. Its general outlines and explanation, however, seem reasonably clear. The girdle represents the whole house of Israel, including Judah. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the house and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord. By reason of the iniquities of the Lord's people, in this case the Jews, they will become separated from him. The coming captivity into Babylon could well be represented by the by the hiding of the girdle near the near the Euphrates. The fact that the girdle was marred in its hiding place simply indicates that the close relationship between God and the Jews had been strained to the breaking point. Down to verse 11, For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel, and the, house, and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for a glory, but they would not hear. Down to verse 23, Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then will ye, then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. So inured in this corrupt behavior have, they, have the people become that they are hopelessly fixed in it. They are no more capable of changing their ways than an Ethiopian could change his skin or a leopard his spots. Therefore they will be scattered because they forgot the Lord and relied on what, the, what was false. It is hardly necessary to point out that Jeremiah is not speaking in verse 23 or of, an, of, of natural evil or of any radical defect in human nature. He is not saying that men are so necessarily sinners that they are like the Ethiopian or the leopard and can do nothing about it. He is, however, saying that whether totally black or only spotted with the perspective of evil in the people is so fixed that they will do nothing about it. The cause of it is the foundation cause. They have forgotten the Lord. Therefore, the disasters come. So let's go on to the next chapter. Chapter 14, the heading reads, Jeremiah prays because of dearth and famine. The Lord will not hear because of the wickedness of his people. Jeremiah chapters 14 to 15 presents a discussion between Jeremiah and the Lord concerning a great drought and the effects attending it. Both people and animals were affected greatly, as Kiel and Delitz wrote. The distress arising from a lengthened drought gives the prophet occasion for urgent prayer on behalf of his people. But the Lord rejects all intercession and gives the people notice for their apostasy from him of their coming destruction by sword, famine, and pestilence. Next, the prophet complains of the persecution he has to endure and is corrected by the Lord and comforted. Then he has his course of conduct for the future prescribed to him since Judah is for its for its sins to be cast forth into banishment but is again to be restored and the discourse concludes with general consideration upon the roots of the mischief together with prayers for the prophet's safety and statements as to the way by which the judgment may be turned aside 
And then down to verse uh, 6, And the wild asses did stand in the high places. They snuffed at the, at the wind like dragons or jackals. Their eyes did fail because there was no grass. Everyone, even the wealthy, was affected by the drought, a calamity of which Judah was often subject. Ordinarily, Judah's summers are dry, for little rain falls from April to the middle of October. This scanty rainfall leaves the rivers low or even dry, and grass is, grass is scarce. Speaking of the drought of Jeremiah's day, Kiel and Delitz wrote that the country and the city, the distinguished and the, and the mean, the field and the husbandmen are thrown into deep mourning, and the beasts of the field pine away because there neither grass nor herb grows. This description gives a touching picture of the distress into which the land and its inhabitants have fallen for lack of rain. Judah is the kingdom or the country with its inhabitants. The gates, as used poetically for the cities with the citizens, not, not mankind only, but the land itself mourns and pines away with all the creatures that live on it. And cross-references to verse 4, where the ground is said to be dismayed along with the tillers of it. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.